Good evening. It's good to see all of you here together. This is our first service back together since our split sessions. Did you enjoy the split sessions? I enjoyed them quite a bit. That was great. We have a couple of announcements. Um, Oasis is the, tw- the 20th of this month. They're going to do something, and the sign-up sheet is in the four-year. Ladies United Fellowship is the 23rd of this month. Sign-up sheet is in the four-year also. And I think Sister Gabby Shoemake is going to be speaking at that, so we're excited about that. The Mission Pledge is going to be due the 28th. And Move the Mission Pledge, which is that beautiful little sign out there is going to be the 28th that's when that is due that's what she's for christ used to be and now they've changed the name to move the mission why don't you just go ahead and stand up it's good to see each and every one of you are you thankful that the blood is still the same oh the blood that jesus shed
time, we have a couple of prayer requests. Brother Jerry Newberry, Brother and Sister Griffith, Andrea Moss, Debbie Smith, Bobby Hamill, Debbie Brine, Dove, I mean Ralph Dove, Lucille McFatridge, Emma Chapman, Virgil Freeland, Faye Crow, Brooklyn Poole. Good to see Brother Jim Lester here. I was thinking about their family and Katie, how she's a miracle, and now she's had a miracle, and it's just so amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Alan Hudson, Walt and Andrea Irvin, T.W. Hush, Hush, sorry, Monica Helm, Mildred and George Pratt, brother and sister John Proctor, and Linda Douthit. Anybody, if you have a need or if you'd like to step in, I believe there's power when we step in for someone else. Our faith encourages them, or even if they don't know if you step in for them, I believe that God sees that extra faith for their situation. The truth is, I say it every time I pray, but God knows your need before you even make mention of it. And there's something so miraculous and so God about that. Um, But if you have any need that you would like prayed over, you're welcome to come up here. Jesus, we thank you for another day of life. We thank you for your presence, the freedom, the liberty that we get to experience and encounter in the midst of you, God. I pray that you would have your way in this place, God. I still believe that you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. I still believe you're the miracle worker, God. I still believe that you're away in the wilderness, God. I believe in your power. I believe in the name of Jesus. God, have your way in this place. Move without restraint. Move without hindrance, God. I pray against any distraction, any doubt, any disappointment that would come into this place, God. You are greater. You're greater. You're greater. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Strongholds are still being loosed. God, we believe, and yes, we can see that wonders are still what you do. Bodies are still being raised. Giants are still being slain. So, God, we believe. Yes, we can see that wonders are still what you do. We are here for you. Come and do what you do. We are here for you. We are here for you. So come and do come what and you do. Set our hearts on you. Set our Still what you'll do We are here 
already in the last few minutes such an oasis of his presence peace and joy and glory and so tonight what a thrill it is to be able to receive an offering for a man and his wife and that our church actually uh, sponsors him, Brother Ronnie and Sister Joanne Bolton are his partners, and uh, uh, unfortunately, they have had a little uh, COVID stuff happening in their life. And uh, but tonight, we are thrilled to be able to help, and you're going to be glad that you had a chance to be a partner financially tonight to bless this couple in their great endeavor his his challenge to hell is unlimited he just doesn't know when to stop and and the devil don't like that but him and his wife they they didn't have to be six foot seven for the devil to be scared to death of them and we are thrilled and honored to have a partnership with him and his wife and what they are doing in Lexor, Cairo. So tonight, let's give a good liberal love offering. And after the offering and the song is sung, I want him just to come and uh, lead and say whatever. He does have a display out there, or she and him have a display, and uh, some, some of the really nice things that they have put there, and I encourage you to go by there. Uh, I will say this. We have had the chance and the choice to share life with them for two or three days, and I have never seen him get mad at his wife. I don't know if he was afraid to 
but what a joyful couple they are. And, and it's just been a real beautiful experience. So you're giving to something really worthwhile tonight. God bless you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Meet needs and supply the future through these people. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. I was just a little boy, but I remember Brother Meyer coming to Egypt. And I came here to the church 30 years ago. This is why you have me as a partner in missions. So I want to thank you. Really thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank your pastor and his wife. Very friendly. They took good care of us. For most of you, I don't know how many of you remember me. Anybody remembers me coming through here? 
30 years ago, 30 years ago. So for most of you, almost all of you, I'm the first Egyptian you have ever seen. Because I was born and raised in the country of Egypt. This is my homeland. فَقَالَ لَهُمْ بُطْرُسْ تُوبُوا وَلِيَعْتَمِدْ كُلُّ وَاحِدْ مِنْكُمْ عَلَى إِسْمِ يَسُوعَ الْمَسِيحِ لِغُفْرَانِ الْخَطَايَا فَتَقْبَلُوا عَطِيَّةَ الْرُوحِ الْقُدْسِ That was Acts 2.38 in the Arabic language. In Egypt, we speak Arabic. We don't speak Egyptian. Egyptian is a dead language. Like you Americans, you speak English. You don't speak American, right? <laughs> so we speak Arabic in the land of Egypt. And uh, we have a good history in the Bible about Egypt, right? And I know your pastor probably when he preaches about Egypt, you find his face gets red hot. And he tells you, get out of Egypt. And he works on it, and he leads you all the way to repentance, water baptism in the name of Jesus, and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then they have a big party. Congratulations, you're out of Egypt. But it takes a long time to keep you away from Egypt and get the rest of Egypt out of you. I'm talking about spiritually. I'm not talking about geography. Egypt in the Bible is a type of bondage and sin. And uh, probably you would be surprised if you study the Egyptian history, how Egypt has influenced the whole world. Even if you live in this part of the world, Egypt has influenced you in the culture, in the mentality, in the way of thinking, because Egypt in the Bible and uh, let's have a little quiz here. Who's the first one in the Bible went to Egypt? The first one went to Egypt. Anybody? Abraham, right? Abraham took his wife Sarah and went down to Egypt. Does anybody know why? Famine. We have a big McDonald's in Egypt. Or a big sandwich store, or KFC. So Egypt was the breadbasket of the world at that time because of the settled culture, because of the Nile. The Nile flows from south to north, one of the longest rivers in the world. So we build civilization. We don't live in tents. We're not Bedouins. So we live in the country of Egypt. So Abraham went to Egypt. Who's the second one went to Egypt? Anybody knows? Any, who? Isaac. Isaac did the same thing his father did. When he was hungry, he went to Egypt for famine. Now some of you said Joseph. But I want to remind you that Joseph did not go by his choice. Joseph was sold as a slave. And as all of you know, he stayed in, in the prison for 13 years. When he came out, he became the prime minister of the land of Egypt. And you will see in the pictures later on part of Joseph's work still in Egypt. We still keep that in Egypt, what Joseph did. 
now Moses. But Moses did not come to Egypt. Moses was born, raised in Egypt. So Moses has an Egyptian passport, right? The greatest one of all, Jesus Christ, as a little boy, was Joseph and Mary went down to Egypt. This time, not for famine, for refuge. So Egypt in the Bible has a lot of history. And I know probably here in America, you live in, in, a, in a culture and a way, and you would think how Egypt has influenced you. I just want to bring to your attention small thing. You know tattoos, which is exploding now everywhere? I see tattoos in the bodies of the people here, every, even in Egypt. But this is an Egyptian culture to make tattoo, piercing of the ears and the nose and the body. This is Egyptian culture. This is why God told them not to do it. So it came out from Egypt. <laughs> Egyptian culture has reached all the way here. And I believe we don't have to do those things. Praise the Lord. And I know most of you have a question. I see it puzzling in your eyes. How did you come to the truth? Since I'm Egyptian, I have to give you a little bit of statistics about this. 80% of the Egyptians are Muslims. Okay? 20% of the Egyptians are Christians. When I say Christians, I mean three major denominations. The first one are the Coptic Orthodox. How many of you know what the Coptic Orthodox? The Coptic Orthodox is an Egyptian church, and it's a sister to the Catholics. But because of politics, East and West, they split about this. So Alexandria is the headquarter of the Eastern Church, and we have a pope in Alexandria, the pope for the Coptic Orthodox. The Catholics represents the West, and the Pope is in Rome. So Coptic Orthodox are 95% of the Christians in Egypt. 3% of the Christians are Catholics. And I believe most of you know what that is, Catholics. The difference is the Catholic priest wears white. The Coptic Orthodox priest wears black. Now that leaves only 2%. All other evangelical denominations, Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, Assemblies of God, uh, Pentecostals, all these are very small, 2% of the Christians. We are, as a oneness Pentecostals, we are the minority of the minorities. <laughs> That's something to be proud about. We are so proud to be Yes, we are small in number, small in churches, but we believe we are the right church. We believe we are on the right track. Amen. I want you to be proud of your church, young people. It's really, it's an honor to be oneness Pentecostals. And I believe if Peter or Paul or John or James came to visit Paris, Texas, they would come right here. They were sent right by your pastor. The Bible tells us, buy the truth and sell it not. Right? The word buy in Arabic does not mean buy. It means gain. Get a hold of it. 
So we have the precious faith. And we believe in it. And sell it not. We're not going to sell the truth, right? But we can share it. We're not going to sell it. But we can share it. So the history of the UPC church in Egypt came through my father. My father was born in the Coptic Orthodox Church. His father was a tax collector in a city in the middle of Egypt. So my father was a young man, but he heard about receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence speaking in tongues. That came to Egypt through an American young lady by the name of Lillian Tresher. She started an orphanage that's early 19th. Uh, she started an orphan for the, for the children in Egypt, in the middle of Egypt. So my father heard about receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay? His town is 100 kilometers south of the city where Lillian Thrasher was. So my father got his Bible, opened it to the book of Acts, chapter 2, put his finger, and he said, God, if it's here, I want it. That's all what it took. So easy. Somebody can receive the Holy Ghost today. Really? If it's here, I want it. It's, not, it's nothing impossible. So God gave him the Holy Ghost. He was the first one in his city. Even the first one in Upper Egypt. Received the gift of the Holy Ghost. With the power of the Holy Ghost, the fire is spread around. Most of his friends got the Holy Ghost. And they went back to the Coptic Orthodox Church. They kicked him out. <laughs> so they tried the Catholics. They kicked him out. So they tried the Presbyterians, the Baptists. They kicked him out. Even they went to the non-denominations. Also, they kicked him out. So they had to start their own. Rented a small place and start preaching. That's all what they knew. Receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Shout, jump, and dance and say hallelujah. That's all. God led him to a city more south. It's called Luxor. And you will see pictures of it later on. Luxor. So he went down there, started a church. That's it. 1938. He started his church. Later on, he joined the Assemblies of God. Okay? The Assemblies of God were so proud of him. They sent him to the USA to come to study the Bible. In 1957, so he came to the U.S., attended a Bible school here. But God works miracles. The Bible school went bankruptcy. <laughs> they had no money to feed the kids. So they had to send the young men to preach in the churches around and help bring the offering to support the Bible school. So my father was waiting in a bus station to go somewhere to preach. While he's there, he picked up a track, piece of paper, track. He read the track. The track was talking about one God. God works, right? Nothing impossible. If you brought a man from Egypt, I believe he will lead him too. You're not here by chance. We're here because God planned it. And it's the perfect plan of God that we know the way of salvation. He read the track, and he said, that sounds Bible, right? Wouldn't that sounds Bible, right? Trinity is illogical. So, in the bottom of the track, there was a phone number. 
He called. It was Brother Winford Black in Kansas City. Miracles, right, Pastor? Amen. He called. Brother Winford Black was a very kind man. Asked him to come to the church. So he went. Okay. Brother Winford Black gave him a short Bible study. Baptize my father in the wonderful name of Jesus. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He got it. Brother Black was a very kind man also. He called Brother S.G. Norris at ABI. He said, Brother Norris, would you take an Egyptian man in your Bible school? So my father came from a very hot area of Egypt, 120 degrees. So he went to St. Paul, Minnesota. <laughs> he put all the clothes he has on. He was very cold. You could never get him warm at all. So he went there. Brother Norris condensed four years of Bible school in one year. Condense it, give it to him, send him back to Egypt. Because he already have a church. He already married and have three kids in Egypt. So he went with the power of the truth. What did he do? Baptize all his saints in the wonderful name of Jesus. And you know, people agree with you about everything. But when it comes to the name, they split. Who Jesus is, that is our biggest issue. That's our big, a lot of people agree with us about the Holy Ghost. A lot of people agree with us even about modesty. But when it comes to the name, this is why the Bible calls us, we are the people of the name. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm so proud of it. Really. And, and my father, since he started preaching that, you know, the war started against him. He fought all the way till he passed away in 1985. At that time, I was in Stockton, California, CLC, studying the Bible. I was already married to my Hoosier wife. She's sitting here by the pastor's wife. She's a Hoosier from Indiana. We met in Germany. We got married in the U.S. and we're living in Egypt. My main requirement when we were in Germany if I marry someone, would you go with me to Egypt? Not a lady is going to pull me to stay in the U.S. I pulled her to go to Egypt. Amen? So we got married. So we went to Egypt 1985. Since then, we're preaching the gospel. And we are fighting. You know, the, 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 the main country for the Trinity is Egypt. Alexandria. Athanasius. Anybody knows Athanasius? The theologian was at the Nicene's Father's Creed, 325 A.D. You probably studied that. Athanasius. Where's Athanasius came from? He came from Alexandria, Alexandria, Egypt. And Apollos, Apollos, the great theologian in Acts 18, he came from Egypt. So Egypt brought a lot of good things too. Amen? But Egypt is the heartbed of the Trinity. Everything is Trinitarian, especially the Coptic Orthodox Church joining the Catholic. And the Protestant, they could not fight against it. So they followed the crowd. Praise the Lord. So we are started, we continued the work which my father did in Luxor. And we started a work in Cairo. We have so many preaching points all over the country from Alexandria, far north, to Aswan, far south. We're preaching the gospel exactly like you do here in Paris, Texas. Praise the Lord. I would like to ask my wife to come and talk to you a little bit about the culture. 
the food and the education, and that's from her, her American eyes. You know, I, everything in Egypt is common to me, but to her, that's what makes different. Praise the Lord. I want to say thanks before I say anything else for I'm sure that you give to Mother's Memorial, the ladies, and the men probably give the ladies some money to give, so thank you to the men too. And that's given us things that we need in our kitchen, and we're so thankful for those things. Also, Move the Mission, as it's called now, but when we got it, it was called Chiefs for Christ. We have a nice car. We've had the same car for 17 years, and we plan to keep it. We, you can't buy any more like it, and it's a safe car for us, so thank you for that as well. And just if you want to pray, you can also pray for our car that it just stays strong. <laughs> well, uh, when I did go to Luxor first, that's many years ago, I wondered why everybody's wearing black. All the ladies were wearing black, and I found out that once they became a widow, they had to wear black the rest of their life. And when they married, they were usually, the ladies were usually 15 to 20 years younger, 10 to 15 years younger than the husband. And then, of course, by the end of their life, they still have that age difference, so the man would die first, and then the ladies would wear black the rest of the, their 10 to 15 or maybe longer. And in between, if somebody died in their family, they had to wear black for two years to commemorate it. With large families, sometimes the two years were not finished before another one died, so there's a lot of time they had to wear black. In addition to that, our songs in Luxor, especially in any village that you go into, they're mostly in a minor, and combined with the black clothes, I felt like everybody was so sad. And I was in a funeral every service. And then, but... Uh, one of the, some of the songs were actually translated from English, from the old, like we usually say the old book, you know, old songs. But one of them really surprised me. It made me smile every time I tried to play it while they were singing. And it was, um, the song was, the words were, what a friend we have in Jesus. But they didn't know the tune, so they put it to, I found a peanut. In addition to that, the music, we have a scale called the pentatonic scale. I think maybe some of you musicians know it, but it's not really something that you, at least for me, it was a little bit difficult to worship the Lord with a pentatonic song. Then if you go to the villages, you might want to come to Egypt just to hear this, but they sing their songs, and when a person starts a song, they usually don't have music with it. When they start the song, they... They pick a note, and everybody else picks a different note. And then they sing the song. They're all singing the song correctly, except it's just started different. So it, well, you can imagine. <laughs> Usually people like to ask us, like to know what we eat. Well, I think we have pretty good food, but um, we don't especially when I went, we didn't have any large grocery stores. Now we do have them, but they're quite far away. So we usually buy our things from a market, something like a, a farmer's market. We buy our fruit and vegetables, and, of course, it takes a little bit longer to cook every meal when you're starting from right out of the farm. But 
uh, it's very tasty and I think very healthy. Usually if we have meat, we have chicken and fish, but if we have meat, it's uh, buffalo, water buffalo. And that's a little bit tough. So the ladies boil it and boil it, boil it a little bit, and then they fry it. And they use the broth from boiling it with the, mixed with a vegetable and add tomato juice and lots and lots of garlic mashed up and, and fried to bring out the flavor. So when you're walking down the street and you smell garlic, you know somebody's just about ready to have a meal. It happens a lot. But after this, um, we usually go to, we don't put any water glasses on the table or any kind of drink. They feel, they, their understanding is that that's going to mess up your digestion. You should drink lots of water, but between meals. And then if you have dessert, we usually go to another room to have dessert. And dessert to them is a piece of fruit. Maybe a banana, maybe a, a few grapes, or an apple, or something like this. We do have cakes and cookies. We don't have pies. That just doesn't exist there. But cakes and cookies, yes, but those are special only for a, somebody's birthday or a very special occasion that you get together and celebrate. Another meal we really like is beans, full. Uh, it's here it's called fava beans and I think you can in some big grocery stores you can buy it in a can and once we found some dried but they're a large bean it, if you start from the dried bean you have to cook it for about nine hours and so normally they put it on a little pot and they keep it uh, just barely boiling overnight in the morning we, we eat the beans for breakfast we add uh, uh, lots of lemon juice we add cumin we add uh, tahina sauce or olive oil or butter and eat it with uh, pita bread and maybe some sliced tomatoes. But it's really a delicious meal and it lasts, stays with you longer than oatmeal. <laughs> you don't get hungry. After we have a dessert, usually we move into another room and we have a, a drink. It's 120 degrees. Our buildings are concrete, so it holds the heat. We usually do have a fan. Sometimes there is, we're getting a little bit more modern. Sometimes they do have air conditioning, which usually is in the bedroom. So sometimes we all move to the bedroom to have the hot tea, which really startled me to start with. I don't want to go in your bedroom, but that's where I had to go. <laughs> But the hot tea, they feel like um, they feel like it. It makes you sweat a little bit, makes you hotter, so you sweat. And then the fan is going, and then it evaporates, and you feel cooler. But I thought they should really probably like iced tea. You know, they just hadn't heard of it, so I made iced tea, and it was really, really a lot of work to get that ice in in our situation we didn't have that big of a freezer or anything on top of our refrigerator so i worked hard to do it but nobody ever ever asked me for a second glass and they never <laughs> said they liked it so i quit making it why bother <laughs> egypt as uh, you will see or maybe you already know we we live on a small area of the land so where we do live it's very crowded and when our kids our kids went to our boys, two boys, they went to regular Egyptian schools. They studied in Arabic up until 
their junior, upper junior high and high school. <clears throat> but when I took Daniel to his kindergarten class, it was a very tiny class, probably about half the size of usual kindergarten classes, and there were 71 students in that class. They sat around tables about 18 inches square, eight kids to the table, and they just learned to shuffle their papers when they were writing so everybody could get a, a space there to write something. But I wondered, how, how would a teacher teach that many students in a place like that? You know, so crowded, no jumping jacks and no toys and no puzzles. They didn't even have lights in the classroom. And I asked about this, why don't you have lights? And they said, well, we, we always have school in the day and there's always sun. Rare in Luxor where this happened, it rains about a few drops every two years. So they, they were right, you know, I just wasn't thinking right. But anyway, <laughs> the teacher taught by rote. She would say the line and the students would repeat. She would say it again, they would repeat, say it again, repeat, repeat. And when they finally, she felt like they understood it and they knew it, then she would start writing it on the board and they would have to copy and copy and copy. When it was time to go home, they had homework. Even kindergarten had homework. And their homework was to write it several more times and say it to mom and dad or bigger brother or somebody. Then they came back to school and they had a test. They have to say it again and they have to write it. This to me seems like it would be rather boring, but it's they learned. Somehow they learned. And most most of them went on to junior high, high school, and many of them went on to college. But the problem with this is that they didn't really learn logic. They didn't learn how to put things together and decide things on their own. And really, honestly, sometimes in Sunday school, we have to teach logic to our students. And sometimes when you give home Bible studies, that's part of it. You teach them to think, to think on their own and to put things together. And But there's a blessing in when they get it understood. We have often had times when we felt that our prayers were combined with prayers from other people besides us. And the Lord has helped us to, to be in the right place at the right time or stay away from the wrong place at the right time. One of the incidents was uh, we were driving from we were driving from Aswan to Luxor and it was at night. We usually drive at night because it's cooler at night and it's better for your body and it's a lot better for the car. But this was the problem with it is in the dark you can't see the road so well. And this was a very narrow road, no no sides to it, and we were between two mountains, and we had a flat tire. There's no place to really get off the road, so we were frantically trying to change the tire, get it out of the trunk, you know. You know how it is, you have to empty the trunk to get to the tire. So we were doing that, but a semi-truck drove up right behind us, and he jumped out, took his tools, shined his lights in the right place, Maybe that just happened. I don't know. But he just jumped out and took care of the tire very quickly, saying only a few words, took his tools, jumped back in his truck, and drove on. <clears throat> we had said a few words to him, but we felt like that we really hadn't thanked him well enough, so we decided to drive quickly and try to catch up. We never did see a truck. So to this day, we believe that angels can drive semi-trucks 
They can change tires and they have their own tools. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your giving, 30 years of giving from this wonderful church. Thank you. We appreciate you very much. Would you, you please, brother, run the PowerPoint and please be watch very good because you're going to have questions. And I'm here to answer your questions. Please. The land of pharaohs, the Nile, pyramids, tombs, and mummies. It also has the lesser known remains of the walls of storage areas that Joseph built to store the grain during the seven years of plenty in preparation for the seven years of famine. These interesting walls are not advertised as tourist sites because our political leaders don't want to show evidence that the Bible is true. The walls are in the south, extremely dry part of Egypt and were made of large mud bricks. They were built thick enough that two chariots could go side by side on the top with slopes to get up and get in the very large storage area of approximately 100 acres. Most of the 110 million Egyptians live in cities along the Nile River, the main source of water. They like hot tea, eat a lot of fava beans, like to joke, and enjoy having you in their home for fellowship and Bible studies. I was born in Lexor, Egypt, into a Christian family. Christians are a minority and oppressed in many ways. The government places armed police military guards in front of our church in Luxor 24 hours a day, seven days a week for security and to check our activities. Our converts often have already received the Holy Ghost when they see the need for baptism in Jesus' name and understand the oneness. One might wonder where we baptize people in a desert. We don't use denial because of its parasites which cause life-threatening diseases. I have baptized many in a custom-made metal baptismal tank in Luxor, including Abu Ahmad. He was negative towards us all his life, but one day as we were visiting his wife, a member, he said he wanted to be baptized correctly. We have a built-in tank in our Cairo facilities. We have had baptisms in villages. We sometimes use a children's swimming pool. Some have been baptized in the Red Sea. And even I have used a farmer's muddy irrigation ditch. Besides Egyptians, we have baptized refugees from Sudan, Eritrea, Ethiopia, and workers from the Philippines. In Egypt, Muslims are the majority and their controlling world headquarters is in Cairo with mosques everywhere. We are not allowed to pass tracks or knock doors to evangelize, and home group studies should be kept to five people or less by law. So if we have more than that, we call it a birthday party. In recent years, we have started another yearly outreach in the Cairo International Book Fair. We got a publisher's license, printed and registered our books with ISBN numbers, then collected our literature and tracts. 
Now each year we can register and attend the book fair. We offer books for sale and tracts for free to everyone, including non-Christians who come by our booth during the 12 to 15 days of the yearly book fair. Muslims are often amazed to learn that there are Christians who believe in one God rather than the Trinity. God is blessed and each year we get the contact information of people from many different countries who are interested to learn more. They are contacted and given the opportunity to have personal Bible study. During the COVID pandemic, we made many contacts through social media. The future is bright for Egypt. We need prayer. We need support. We need Arab speaking aimers. Perhaps you would be willing to work in the wonderful land of Egypt. Amen. Thank you. Are you ready to go to Egypt? I'm here to recruit aimers, associate in missions. So if you feel like you need to contact your pastor, contact HQ, and come to work with us in Egypt. We have American University in Cairo. You can enroll. That would be a good point of contact to as a campus ministry. Yes, we're ready to recruit. How many people want to come to Egypt? And you have Vava Beans. <laughs> Anybody has a question about what you saw? Question? Any questions about what you saw about Egypt? How to reach Egyptians? Anybody? Anybody raise your hand? I didn't see it. Sorry. Good. So you know all the questions. So I want to thank you for having us as PIM. And please, the family which is not here today, for some reason, uh, please, Pastor, you can tell them that we appreciate them and thank them very much. And I'm leaving this one here. Maybe somebody, somebody has a question? He's here. Oh, thank you, brother, for being, you, 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 you need to, the pastor need to make a trip, bring a few people. Some of my food. <laughs> Good. So you need to make a trip and come visit us in Egypt. That would be nice, really. So I want to thank you. I'm going to leave one here for anybody else. And I'm raising here, we're raising money for two main projects. And uh, you saw that we have a church in Luxor that's registered by the government. To start a church anywhere else, it's very hard. So we went around to register an NGO. NGO is a non-government organization. We're allowed to have two activities, social and culture. When we add the religious activity, we, the whole file became under the secret police department because a lot of NGOs support terrorists. So this is why they have to watch the NGOs. And uh, we, wanna, we have one in Cairo, downtown Cairo, I was telling the pastor about where it is, how God put us there. But we need to have another one, one of Cairo's suburb. So another group like Filipinos, Ethiopians, can use that place for a place to worship. We're raising money for that, and we're raising money for a copy machine to copy and print our tracks. When we have the book fair, you saw the pictures of the book fair, it's a huge place. We have around... 
three million people go by you in a two weeks time every year. And when they come by, we pass free tracks. Exactly the same tracks you have here. We have Brother Bernard's books, The Oneness of God, The New Birth, translated to Arabic. So those as a point of contact, because a lot of people come, they have never heard that there are oneness Christians. They think all Christians believe in the Trinity. So we stand out and say, no, we believe in one God. So we're raising money for that printing machine or copy machine to use it for the book fair. Thank you very much. God bless you, the pastor. Thank you. <laughs> that request is rejected right now <laughs> from the big boss. <laughs> but really, we welcome you guys to come. Yes, sister.
questions? Yes. Because it's getting very tight. So we have to go out to reach people. So where? The book fair. Cairo International Book Fair. It's a two weeks. From 9 morning to 9 p.m., my wife and I sit there and people go by. Go by. Tracks. They stop. We have special guys, special Islamic theologians, come specially for our booth to buy Brother Bernard's books in Arabic. Yes, one God. You know, brother, you got to see how the shock. You, the, are there Christians in the world believe in one God? Yes, we are. Here's the book. Islamic schools in Iraq, Libya, Algeria, Jordan, Syria, Arabia, the Gulf, they come specially to get our books. We're shaking the world, I tell you what. Yeah. And we're not ashamed of it. I'm doing it with a permission because I'm a publisher. I registered myself as a publisher. So when I am a publisher, hmm? yeah, I'm a publisher. So I get the books and I have permission for Brother Bernard's and from the Word of Flame Publishing House to translate and publish their book. The latest one I got is from Brother Stan Gleason to, to translate his books, his book, and, and, tra- and put it in our literature. And all our tracks, wherever I go, wherever, all the churches I go to, I pick up the tracks, translate it, okay, and put it. Tracks does not need uh, copyright. Tracks one paper does not need ISBN. Congress library number, but books needs registration, ISBN number, because I'm a publisher. (laughs) Oh, brother. (laughs) Okay. The short edition, right? Okay, God moved in our hearts that we need to move to the capital. We work in Luxor, Luxor, way south, small city, but we need to move to the capital. In fact, brother, brother Rodan Bush, he was visiting us in Egypt, and he said, go to Cairo. Okay. So I start driving all over around Cairo trying to find a place to start. 20 years, I'm looking for a place. 20 years. I wanted a big place, you know, has a front yard and a backyard and a Bible school and a training center, all that in my mind. But nothing worked. A little ad in the newspaper about apartment 
downtown Cairo. When I'm downtown, Cairo is a city of 25 million people. And it's not a spread like this. Everything is packed and up. Packed and up. Okay? So, apartment downtown Cairo. I saw it, and I liked it. I talked to the man, and uh, he said, okay, we agreed about the price. Then he asked me, who are you? What are you doing? I said, I'm a pastor. He said, you're Christian. I said, yes. He said, okay, I pay my tithe for the price of that apartment. God, it is God. Okay? So we got that apartment as a place to start in Cairo. Okay, that's 2001. All right, we're working on it. Now, every time I go to that place, the guards downstairs tell me, there's an apartment free upstairs if you want to buy it. A big apartment in a building, huge. I said, no, I don't, I can't afford it. And it's, if, who would live downtown Cairo? Cairo's very crowded. I don't want to. Anyway, years go by. And one time they said, there's another one empty. So I took my wife and kids to see the first one and the second one. We, anyway, we end up to buy the big one in this apartment building. Here is a story. The owner of that building is a Muslim man from Saudi Arabia. He's a banker. Means he's got lots of money. So when he built that building, he built it very good. That's my daddy plan. Okay? In the 80s, he built it very good. But he said a promise. No Christian man would live in that building. He said. So when he said it by his mouth, it got recorded in heaven. No Christian man will live in that. You know, never say never. So, okay. So the first apartments I bought, which is going to be our office and a place to outreach, is his office. And the apartment upstairs we bought to live in, it was his apartment. <laughs> that because he said, never Christian man live in my house. So we live in his office and we bought his apartment. <laughs> That's God. <laughs> That's, our, that's my daddy. And he sees things way far. 